We're putting the, the cherry on top of Pastor Kevin's uh, five-part series on wisdom for life. And, uh, you know, Solomon wrote the book on wisdom. Well, he wrote books on wisdom. So, you know, I just thought I'd, you know, try a little question like, you know, what's the meaning of life, right? You know, just a little something. So, you know, we don't have to worry about going to a Chiefs game after church. So, you know, you got a couple hours. We can, we can hang out and, and hammer this out. Um, I'm a teacher, so teaching fourth grade. Um, one of my habits that I've gotten into is over-planning. So just to make sure I always have enough to do with the kids every day. And if I don't get to it, you know, on Monday, well, then I've got Tuesday all set up, you know. So you want to come back Monday and I'll finish the sermon. <laughs> uh, so um, I hope I haven't bitten off more than I can chew. Um, but now I know, you know, what Pastor Kevin uh, says when, you know, I kind of steal his thunder on the steps down here with the kids. Um, so... Looking at Solomon, um, I thought of, you know, a way to connect this to, you know, our lives, you know, 3,800 years later. Um, Pastor Kevin's talked about the um, website I Am Second before. Uh, I wasn't bold enough to give the um, worship team up there a video to play for me today, but um, Brian Head Welsh, um, He's a famous guitarist from uh, the rock band Korn, and his testimony, along with about 150 others, are on the I Am Second website. And Pastor Kevin's played a few of those testimonials for us. Um, like Solomon, he was wealthy and famous and talented. Um, he became an alcoholic, addicted to meth. He had it all. Fame, fortune, family, world travel, everything that comes along with the rock and roll lifestyle. Uh, while he was addicted to meth, he had a daughter. He was raising her on her own because the mother of his child was uh, also addicted and left her. Um, in his testimonial, he mentions that a friend quoted scripture to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And, uh, you know, that touched him. He's like, I'm weary, I'm burdened. The rest of that scripture says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we went to church with that friend for a couple weeks, then he gave his life to Christ. Um, he went home, did a line of meth, and then he asked God to take the burden from his life and help him be a good dad to his daughter. God's world changes lives. He works through people like us to transform the world, one person at a time. So let's take a look at Solomon. Rhonda mentioned his story at the altar, burning offerings at the altar. He was the third and final king of the unified nation of Israel. Started with Saul, 
And he chased David around the wilderness for a while, but then King David, and then Solomon's his son, son of David and Bathsheba, and we know that story. So when he asked for wisdom, God granted that to him. And because he had wisdom, gaining otherworldly things was pretty easy for him. Uh, he gained the throne pretty young. He ruled for over 40 years. He authored the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, even parts of Proverbs. He did great things. He built the temple in seven years. He built his palace in 14 years. He became what some scholars believe is the richest and wisest, most knowledgeable and influ influential leader in world history. And yet, at the end of that, he called his life's work meaningless. Solomon was like Brian Welch, but like on the apex level of fame and fortune and power and influence. And although he started his life in God's favor, following his commandments, humbly accepting his role as leader, asking for wisdom instead of wealth or women or gold or victory over his enemies, it still went off the rails. Yes, he too tried everything under the sun to fill that hole in his heart. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 it says, God has put eternity in man's heart. You see, we long to fill that hole in our heart, but we live in a sinful world. But God has designed in us a longing for him. It's kind of the oldest story ever told. Most movies or novels are all about people searching, trying the wrong things. We've seen it a hundred times. Solomon tried four basic ways to um, fill that hole. Pleasure, knowledge, work, you know, accomplishment, and wealth. All right, the first one is wisdom. Uh, w sorry, wisdom for life. Pleasure is fleeting. I got that song stuck in my head as I was preparing the sermon. You know, I can't get no satisfaction. And the Rolling Stones sang, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no. No, no, no. <laughs> right? It's a catchy tune. Kind of upbeat, kind of danceable, kind of fun to sing. But man, what a message. Right? Here's a rock star singing about he can't get any satisfaction. Right? Rich, famous, traveling the world. Same with Solomon. In Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11, it reads, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. And he had the means to find about anything he could find. I refused my heart no pleasure. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So, you know, is he wholehearted or wholehearted, right? With an H or with a WH? He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He, he says that phrase, nothing was gained under the sun 29 times in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes. 
He uses the word in Hebrew, hevel, or hebel, which kind of means smoke, like vapor. You know, you can't attain it, you can't reach it, you can't catch it. It's all folly, vanity, leaves you empty. Not much has changed from uh, 3,800 years ago. Same stuff, different day. We chase after entertainment, right? Movies, concerts, um, you know, just all kinds of, you know, things on Netflix or, you know, whatever we're watching on TikTok. Food, right? Restaurants, drink, music, sports. Some people, you know, go after health and, you know, fitness, experiences, travel, all that, you know, the earth has to offer. Solomon encourages us to enjoy life in Ecclesiastes. It's God's gift to us. We shouldn't be like, uh, you know, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees with the clipboard, you know, marking everything that we're not supposed to do. You know, he says to be joyful. But, you know, we shouldn't let the pursuit of pleasure consume us. It shouldn't, you know, consume our thoughts and desires and time and our heart. We are created for a purpose, God's purpose. And he should be at the center of those desires. Next thing that Solomon mentioned and tried was knowledge. He says in Ecclesiastes 2.16, For the wise, like the fool, will not long be remembered. Like the fool, the wise must die too. So even though he was a rich and powerful leader, and studied everything available to him in the world. He had the greatest scholars and centers for higher learning. The Queen of Sheba traveled over 1,200 miles for advice for him, and, you know, he had many other visitors through his 40 years that wanted to seek his wisdom, and he learned from them and collected all the wisdom from their cultures as well. Um, that little picture there. We've got um, Alexander the Great, his father, Philip, had passed away. And one of his uh, philosophers, Dinoges, um, was caught looking at a, a pile of rubble, like a bunch of bones. And uh, Alexander the Great walked over to him and said, you know, why are you looking at that pile of bones? And he says, well, I'm trying to find the bones of your father and see the difference, you know, between the bones of your father and the bones of a slave. And, you know, he could probably talk to Alexander the Great like that because in that culture, you know, philosophers were held in very high regard. They could speak their mind to leaders and probably not be in fear of being beheaded. Um, you know, we're all going to pass away. And 
we all have the same you know, blood flowing through us. We are all made of the same bones. The philosopher is trying to tell Alexander the great, a little lesson in humility. Yes, we pursue knowledge today. You know, we've got smartphones in our pockets. We can ask Google or Siri or Alexa, anything that we want to know. Uh, you know, our nation is full of institutions of higher learning. You get graduate degrees, doctorates. We've got experts and gurus, influencers, you know, TikTok videos. When I need to fix something on my Jeep, I get on YouTube, I can find somebody that already fixed that thing. It's great. In fact, some of the first universities, like Harvard and Yale, just kind of like hospitals, they were Christian institutions. So, you know, Solomon's not bad-mouthing knowledge. But the pursuit of knowledge for knowledge's sake just to become more knowing, more learned, more powerful. That's not, you know, his message. We should use our knowledge to help others and to further God's kingdom. I just went uh, jeeping yesterday, and uh, there's a whole lot of volunteers on the trail they would drop everything in a minute if somebody's Jeep broke or they got stuck uh, or if they got lost. Um, those are the kind of people, you know, we see in church that, you know, take their time and, and make a quilt for the children's home or collect school supplies for um, school-aged children or, um, you know, do many of the things in our congregation. Um, you know, we're knowledgeable. Do we use that knowledge to help others? The next thing that Solomon pursued was, you know, work. He called it toil, accomplishment. You can't take it with you. In Ecclesiastes 2.18, he says, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the ones who come after me. If you start reading Ecclesiastes on your own, sometimes when Pastor Kevin's preaching, I'll be in, in the pews and I'll, I'll keep reading the chapter as he's talking because there's just so much good stuff there. You get confused at what Solomon's message is because he plays that woe is me card a lot. Um, my dad used to call it, he's playing the smallest violin in the world and then he's playing it just for himself, right? I mean, this guy built one of the greatest palaces in the world. He built the temple in Jerusalem. He built fortresses. He had a stable that would hold a thousand horses and chariots. And he called all that work and toil and accomplishment folly. Many times he, he says in Ecclesiastes to uh, eat, drink, and enjoy the fruits of your toil. Even though he's called it a blind pursuit of accomplishment. 
folly and meaningless. When he passed away, he gave the kingdom to his two sons. Well, the oldest son got it first, and he divided the kingdom, gave half to himself and half to his brother. And then the second son ended up worshiping idols. So all that Solomon worked for for 40 years, he was the last king of the unified nation of Israel. Are we still like this today? Sure. You know, we say the Bible's old and doesn't have any meaning. We've got the same kind of pursuits going on today. Do we invest our time and energies and sacrifice our health and our family for our jobs, for our careers, for raises, for promotions, for power? Sure. Sure we do. The blind pursuit of work for work's sake, for accomplishment's sake, is what Solomon found was not fulfilling. It did not fill that hole in his heart that was designed to be filled by God. In Colossians 3.23 it says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as if for the Lord, not for men. Work and do your job like God is your boss. What a witness. My dad told me, you know, when he was asking me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, I wanted to be a fireman or be a truck driver or I wanted to design cars. I lived in Detroit, so I wanted to design sports cars or something. <clears throat> but there's a garbage man that would run down our neighborhood once a week, and I was hopped on the back of his garbage truck, and I helped him toss the cans into the back, and sometimes he found some really cool things that me and my buddies would collect, and we'd drag them into the woods, and, you know, we'd use it on our fort or, you know, put a part on our bike or whatever. And he saw how much I had fun with the garbage man. He's like, well, I don't care if you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, you know, be a garbage man. Just be the best garbage man you can be. And I remember that. Whatever we do, do it for the Lord. That's the witness that Solomon learned. The last thing is wealth. He was the richest man in the world. It doesn't last. He says in Ecclesiastes 6.6, 6, Even if a man lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. He acquired more wealth than anyone in history. And yet, in 6.9, he says, this too is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. In fact, that uh, book cover there comes from an author, Tolstoy. And he wrote a collection of stories. And this one is, How Much Land does a man require? And it's a tale of a man named Panham. And he's, if you know the story, the Russian running man story. So, can't tell y'all 
four chapters. But um, basically, he's a peasant, and he wants some wealth, and, you know, he's collected some money, but not enough to buy any land. And the man that has, you know, a lot of land, he's going to pass away, he's going to give it away. He says, I tell you what, when the sun comes up tomorrow, you can run as far as you can. As long as you return back here before the sun sets, you can have all that land. He thought that sounded like a pretty good deal. So off he set the next morning, marking the land as he went with piles of stones. He got all the way back. There's a little time left before the sun set. And the man's like, well, you've, you know, walked a great distance. This will be, you know, great land for you and yours. And um, Penham looked and said, well, you know, I got a little time before the sun sets. Even though he was tired, he'd walked a long way, picked up a lot of stones to mark his area. He took off again. And he was running, trying to beat the sun. And where he started was at the top of a hill, so you could see the sun rise and set, unencumbered from any trees or hills. And he is trucking up to the top of this hill, gets up to the top. Oh, pure, pure joy. He had just, you know, plotted out a whole bunch of more land for he and his family. And then he collapses and dies. So Toy Story had a, a funny way of, you know, sharing that lesson with us. Solomon would say, well, that sounds like chasing after the wind, doesn't it? Folly. It's not going to last. You can't take it with you. Do we still act like that today? Sure. That's a Russian parable. But have you ever caught yourself ever telling somebody, yeah, I have enough money. You know, once you buy that new thing, you have it a little while. Don't you want to buy another new thing? You know, it's human nature. We try and fill that hole with something square. Trying to shove it into a round hole that doesn't fit. But money isn't bad. Solomon's not saying wealth is bad. It can do good. But you can't let it be the chief competitor of your heart. We'll never reach Solomon's wealth. And yet, still he was left empty because it really never satisfies. So, what's the point? I mean, the futility of modern living. What well, sounded like Solomon was living the same life we are 3,800 years ago. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? Why gain something if I can't enjoy it or work for it if I'm just going to lose it or acquire education if I'm still going to be miserable, is what Solomon was saying. He had fame, fortune, family, wisdom, women, wealth, songs, servants, and silver, and yet he felt despair in Ecclesiastes 2.20. You know, I catch myself thinking, well, if I can just get that new car, or if I can just buy that new house, or, you know, if I can just do this, or have that, or lose 50 pounds, <laughs> I'll be happy, right? 
We can learn from Solomon there. He was pessimistic, frustrated, depressed, kind of gloomy and doomy in these chapters. He was empty, perplexed, said it was all like vapor, like chasing after the wind. There's nothing new under the sun. He had seen it all. He knew it all. He did it all. He had it all. But he hated it all. In Ecclesiastes 2.17, he said, And I hated my life, the richest guy in the world, with everything under the sun. He had been there and done that. I remember we planned a Disney trip a few years ago. And uh, it was kind of like taking a college class or something. Man, you had to plan and work and save and, you know, download an app and do all this stuff, buy tickets and schedule the whole thing. And we thought, wow, okay, it's going to be great. And it was. But, you know, it was like three years ago now, <laughs> right? Yeah, we did it. You know, it doesn't fulfill my life, though. So how would Solomon, you know, how Solomon felt? Next slide, please. Like he said, I can't understand it. I can't control it. I can't predict it. I mean, it's unfair. In Ecclesiastes 2, and 23, he said, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds don't rest. Sound familiar? <laughs> the richest man in the world, most powerful leader ever, still feeling despondent. Is work and wisdom and wealth worthless? Why bother? Maybe he was listening to Merle Travis's song. Maybe you know it from Tennessee Williams or Johnny Cash. You ever hear the song 16 Tons? It was inspired by coal mining in Kentucky. Merle got a letter from his brother, and in, in the letter he, he wrote some of the lines of the song. He says, uh, you load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older, and another deeper in debt. And his father, coming back from the mines, you know, he would say, uh, I can't die. I owe my soul to the company store. Sound like a familiar song? He says, St. Peter, you can't call me home. I owe my soul to the company store. Why work if it brings grief? Why be wise if you die just like fools? Why earn money if we leave it or lose it? In Ecclesiastes 2, 26, it says, To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth just to hand it over. So, what is Solomon's wisdom for life? Pretty simple. Two things. Enjoy life and fear God. Pretty straightforward. Receive life as a gift from God. Eat, drink, be happy, do good. 
Find satisfaction in your work. And then fear God. Trust, obey, serve, worship. But keep God at the center of your life. Those other things, they won't fill that hole in our hearts. Remember, he had the means to try. Like, Solomon's life is the great experiment on if you're rich and have everything, will you have a happy life? He was miserable 40 years later. Next slide, please. So his wisdom, first thing, enjoy God's gift of life. See, in Ecclesiastes 3.13, he doesn't point to or get stuck under the sun. Solomon looks above the sun. It is a gift of God. A person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in one's toil. Not hedonism, not eat and drink until you die, but the ability to work and earn and provide is a gift. Nature, family, friends, where we land is a gift. I heard uh, many pastors say, grow where you're planted. Sometimes we can't control our circumstances. We make choices. We can change those circumstances, but sometimes we just need to bloom where we are. Not to covet someone else's life, or their things, or their health, or their so-called happiness, but to have joy in the life that God has given us. Enjoyment done in the right perspective. Not enjoyment to find satisfaction, but in a joyful life because God gave it to us to use for his glory. In Ecclesiastes 3.12, he says, Nothing better, nothing is better for people to do than to be happy and do good while they live. So if we can keep that in the center of our lives, then we will be fulfilled, doing good for others, enjoying our lives. Not very many people are want to come to church with us if we're grumpy and mopey. And if we're, you know, judgmental or telling people they're bad and they shouldn't do that, right? They're going to come to church with us if we're loving and caring. If we have joy in our hearts, others can see that light. And in 1 Timothy, later on in the New Testament, in 6.17, It says this, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We don't have to go chase it. God gives us what we need. We may get what my dad calls the case of the wants, but God gives us what we need. So instead of ansetitism, I think I said it right, which is kind of giving up, Believers should enjoy life and give it up. Give it to God. And the second thing that Solomon would say is to fear God. 
And fear, that kind of sounds like, oh, I'm afraid. But actually, it's like a, a respect to trust him, to obey him, to serve him, to worship him. In 1 John 5, 3 and 4, it says, This is love for God, to keep his commandments. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. His plans, they're greater than ours. We need to depend on him, not ourselves. Learn to trust his plans. Obeying as well. Fearing God and keeping his commandments, for it is the whole duty of mankind, is what Ecclesiastes 2, 16 and 18 says. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. <clears throat> the old hymn says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We obey because he loves us and he doesn't want us to feel pain and hurt and suffer. We should serve. Not for ourselves, but for others. That's a quote from Edward Payson, way back in 1836. He was a preacher. And his analogy was the sun doesn't shine for itself. It shines on us, warms our planet, allows us to see, brings life. It doesn't gain anything from shining. In fact, we know the sun's going to burn out a couple billion years from now. And so should we serve not to work for us, but to work for others. And as part of that creation story, the more I learn about space, or the more I learn about microorganisms, the more and more I am absolutely in awe of God's creation. We worship him because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are human. We're, we're finite. We're here today and gone tomorrow, but God is infinite. He's holy and eternal. In Matthew 6, it says, All things are gifts from God. Worship the one who is eternal and offers us salvation. It's easy to get caught up in worshiping, giving our time, our thoughts, our energies, our passions, to the gifts when we should be giving that passion and that energy and that time to the giver. We get caught up in building our own kingdom that won't last instead of investing in his eternal kingdom. So instead of it, hedonism or you give in, believers should fear God. Give glory. While Nate and Brian and Meredith take their place for the hymn of invitation, I'd like to invite you not to wait. Ken Boas said it like this, God designed us to find satisfaction in him alone. 
He loves us enough that he will not allow us to be satisfied with any lesser thing. Romans 5.8 says, While we were still sinners, God sent Christ to save us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He sent us his son while we were still sinners. He had it all planned out in paradise. We were to be in communion with him in the Garden of Eden, but we blew it. We would have been free from want or need or toil or fear. But man is fallible. We're finite. We're imperfect. We're flawed. But he is perfect and infinite and loving. So just say yes. Here am I, Lord. Send me. If you've tried it all and you still haven't filled that hole in your heart, ask God to be the Lord of your life today. The wisest and richest and most powerful and most knowledgeable human to ever walk the planet took 40 years to find out what we already know. The things of this earth won't satisfy, won't last. But a life led by Jesus, dedicated to God's plan, will be more fulfilling than we imagine. So you come forward while we sing. We thank you for this important message today from your word. Walk with us this week as we seek to please you with our lives and find joy in knowing we're striving to do what you would have us do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.